Hi, hello, what's up everyone, and welcome in to this week's episode of Geek Garage Goes to the Movies. Ted here, again flying solo for better or worse. Unfortunately, David will not be joining me on this episode, and while we know that's disappointing, we do hope to get a full episode with both of us involved recorded soon. On my last solo episode, I took my chances, shot my shot, so to speak, and I ended up covering a couple of movies that I don't think David was as into, or maybe he wasn't as familiar with as I am, so I figured, what the hell, I had a good time doing that, so I'll do another one like that. If you've been paying attention to any of our episodes so far, or you know me, um, I'm sorry, first, but also you should know that I'm a huge, huge fan of Hong Kong action movies, particularly those of the director John Woo. So for this week's episode, I thought I would cover what are my two favorite John Woo movies, 1989's The Killer and 1992's Hard Boiled. For me, these movies are basically joined at the hip, so to speak. Now, I know they didn't come out back-to-back. Wu cranked out a couple movies in between these, and they're not part of uh, the same continuity, so one's not a sequel to the other. However, in my opinion at least, these are his two best movies, his crowning achievements. A lot of people say that maybe 1986 is A Better Tomorrow is is his best film, and while I do enjoy that film a great deal, I don't put it at- atop either one of these that I've mentioned. In fact, The Killer and Hardboiled are two of my all-time favorite action movies. Really, they're two of my all-time favorite movies, just kind of in general. As a quick side note, David and I have talked about this, and I think that in the near future we're going to do an episode, or maybe a series of episodes, where we list our favorite movies from a particular genre, so our favorite action movies, our favorite horror movies, etc. For Hardboiled and The Killer, I tend to go back and forth on which one I like better. I think it really kind of just depends on the mood I'm in the day that I watch them. I I usually tend to watch these more or less back to back. So some days it'll be like a double feature where it's one right after the other. Sometimes it's one on a Friday night, maybe one on a Saturday afternoon. In fact, that's actually what I did right before recording this episode, just so that they're both fresh in my mind. You know, I've seen them countless times, and I usually kind of lean towards hard-boiled being the better action movie in terms of, like, set pieces, sequences, stunt choreography, and things like that. Now, The Killer is a great action movie in its own right, so I don't want to take anything away from it, because like I said, I do love it too. In a way, it's a little more, I guess, restrained, at least comparatively speaking, because compared to most action movies, it's a little over the top, which we'll get to. I also think that, overall, The Killer is a better representation of Wu's heroic bloodshed ideal. A lot of his movies, particularly his earlier Hong Kong movies, are based on this ideal. In short, it's like gangsters or criminals that have a rigid set of ethics, who, despite being criminals, are actually fairly good-willed. Heroic bloodshed films have been described as like a wuja or kung fu movie, but replace the martial arts with gunplay and shootouts. This style was pretty popular especially in Hong Kong, and it went on to really heavily influence filmmakers worldwide. Some examples that you could easily point to would be like Luc Besson's Leon the Professional, which has a contract killer, played by Jean Reno, taking in a young girl, uh, Natalie Portman's character, to protect her. Some elements of the characters can also be found in maybe some of Tarantino's characters, although I would say those are a little more heroic bloodshed adjacent, or maybe designed as a tribute, like many of the things Tarantino does, um, rather than playing to those genre tropes outright. As always, let me stop here and say that I'm going to be talking really heavily about plot points and themes, and just, this podcast is going to be filled with spoilers. So if you haven't seen these movies, number one, you've made a huge mistake and you're not living correctly. But number two, I highly encourage you to go seek these out. Not just because I'm about to spoil the shit out of them, but again, they're legitimately great movies. 
So without further ado, let's get to them. Like right now. First, we have The Killer, which is a movie about a lot of things that we'll cover momentarily. First, I'd like to talk about the writer and director John Woo. He's known for his uncanny ability to take scenes of intense carnage and violence and have them appear as really almost balletic in nature. The action, while nearly as intense as you can make it, is choreographed and shot so beautifully that you really can't help but notice that. I remember at one point there was a common criticism of this type of movie is that um, no one ever reloads. And I don't know if this was the first film where everyone basically had unlimited ammo, but it definitely does fit that bill. That's a fair criticism. People reload probably five times in total in this movie, which is even funnier when you consider that they use something like 40,000 blanks while filming it. Uh, over the top is probably a conservative estimate, if anything. Uh, but it isn't really just the action. The movie in general really seeks to redefine being over the top. Now that's not a slight by any means. I love this movie, like I've said, and like I will continue to say, I will sing its praises. But if you think about it, this movie really shouldn't work. I mean, you really have all these disparate threads. You have the philosophical rumination, the contemplation of things like life, honor, brotherhood, loyalty. You have a doomed romance, and then all this carnage on top of it. But somehow Wu pulls all this together and makes it work, and, and really actually does better than just making it work. He really elevates the movie. Another criticism that I've seen people have is that, oh, the acting is kind of hammy, there's a lot of melodrama. And it is, but again, it fits. The melodrama acts as a nice chaser, so to speak, to the adrenaline shot of the action scenes. There's some comedy bits that really allow for a much-needed moment of recuperation, or much-needed moments of recuperation throughout. For example, there's a scene where Ajong and Inspector Lee are both in Jenny's apartment, unbeknownst to her as she has basically developed blindness at this point in the film. And they're going back and forth. They're literally having a Mexican standoff, guns drawn. And she's just tooling around asking, oh, are you guys friends? Do you want tea? Etc. And it's not really set up as a comedic bit. So, you know, not like a sitcom where you can picture the laugh track coming in. But it really worked. You know, Wu has said that one of his favorite films and the main inspiration for The Killer was Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai, which is also a great movie. And having watched them both in a short time frame, I can tell you that that inspiration becomes readily apparent. I mean, let's really think about this. There's a lone hitman who falls in love with a lounge singer. He risks his life due to exposing his true identity, has his employers betray him, he sets down a doomed path without a second thought for another way out. I mean... Wu is not known for his subtlety, this included. To be fair though, the movie is fully a tribute to Melville, but it's different enough in terms of both themes and some of the details and plot points that it's easy to differentiate. There is also of course the trademark Wu symbolism. They're the doves. My god are they the doves. Um, those are almost as synonymous with Wu as the violence is. Another animal that makes an appearance is a cat that's in Jenny's apartment. First it appears when she and Ah Zhang return home for the first time, and then later when Inspector Chang is trying to catch Ah Zhang in the apartment. Now, the cat in Chinese mythology or in the Chinese culture 
it's a, a, a negative omen if it enters your home. And in fact, all of those characters in those scenes have negative endings, which we'll, we'll come to. There are some other themes present in many of Wu's films, particularly in his heroic bloodshed films, as we've talked about. So things like loyalty, honor, redemption, etc. Ah Jong, for example, is a killer, but he has a strict set of ethics. He doesn't mean to wound Jenny. That's an accident. And after he does, he opts to do whatever he can to assist her. We see this also on the beach shootout, where he's being attacked... And when an innocent girl is wounded in the crossfire, he risks his life and his identity taking her to the hospital. That's actually the first time that he and Inspector Lee and Inspector Chang meet. Um, he is in disguise, but you it's a mustache, so he still looks like Chow Yun-Fat. You know? <laughs> um, he is in his own way an honorable man. He believes in something, and that's something that he believes in seems to be rapidly eaten away as the world changes around him. So Inspector Lee, though on the opposite side of the law, since he is again a police officer, he has a similar dilemma. He bucks against a system that has too many rules, that seems to have lost focus on what matters. He even says at one point in the film, you know, I believe in justice, but no one, meaning his fellow police officers essentially, believes in me. This acts as the basis of their growing friendship. They're very different outwardly. Again, they're on opposite sides of the law, but they're very alike at their core. Now, all those things are good and well, and it does help to elevate the movie above being just another action movie, but it is still an action movie, so I would be doing a disservice. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about some of the action sequences. In particular, the opening shootout is one of my favorite scenes. Um, it's in the nightclub where Ajong basically knocks on the door and then blows everyone in the room away. Uh, it's shot very stylized, very Wu-like, of course, uh, but... The main part of this, the main sequence I want to talk about is towards the end of it, where Ajong is unarmed, he's just dropped his weapons um, to leave them at the scene, when another bodyguard walks in. He looks down, Ajong looks down and sees a revolver on the table. So he like does a kick to the top of the table that uh, knocks it upward, launches the gun up in the air, he catches it, boom, fires and kills the bodyguard. And it is so goddamn dope. Uh, the first time I watched this movie, I probably rewound that and watched that just that clip, that like 15 or 20 second clip, probably 40 times straight. I'm not even exaggerating. It's just, it's so cool. Now, by today's action movie standards, it's probably, you've probably seen something like that before, but, you know, this came out in 1989, all right? This movie really changed things. Of course, there's the final shootout in the church. That's probably the best one. It's chock full of all, all of Wu's greatest tricks. And then finally, with a bang, well, really several hundred bangs, uh, the movie ends. And it's really kind of a tragedy. No one really has a good ending. You know, Jenny is blind. At this point, her eyesight has deteriorated so badly that there's really no help for her. Ah Jong had planned to donate his eyes to Jenny in the event that he died, but he's been shot in both of his eyes. He's blind now, too. He's also dying. He's bleeding to death. And he does drop dead near Jenny, but they're unable to see one another. They're calling each other's names. It's, it's Like I said, it's a doomed romance. It's very sad. Inspector Lee has arguably the best ending, but it's bittersweet, really, at best. He does kill the triad boss who has betrayed Ah Jong and set all this in motion, so that does serve his justice. In fact, the lead-up to that final kill is intercut by his earlier speech, I believe in justice, but no one believes in me. The triad boss is trying to surrender and saying, take me into custody, take me into custody, I'm guilty. And when he sees Lee walking up, he says, oh no, I need police protection from that man. And Lee shoots him, and after that he's, 
he just kind of falls to the ground and is surrounded by his other officers, his other police officers, and he's just kind of sitting there left to mourn the death of his recent friend and maybe the only person who really understood him. It's definitely a tragic ending and fairly atypical to the standard action film, you know, the, the typical movie, the, the good guys win, the bad guys are gone, you know, no matter what happens really, everything's great at the end or, you know, it kind of leads you to believe that. This isn't like that. But again, this isn't really your standard action film, so it kind of fits. You know, I really can't recommend this movie enough. Um, I didn't even really talk about a lot of the action sequences and action scenes that are just phenomenal. They really hold up. I really kind of wanted to save the action pieces for Hard Boiled, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. And again, I kind of think it's the better action movie of the two. Although this one is definitely a better snapshot of Wu as a filmmaker, I would say. If you're interested in checking this movie out, again, I really can't recommend it enough. It's available on Blu-ray for fairly cheap. I think I paid maybe 7 or $8 for my copy uh, off of Amazon. I've also seen this pop up on Netflix a few times over the last couple of years. That's definitely a good option. I, I don't know if it's on there currently, um, but I have seen it pop up a few times again. I will give you a word of warning if you do decide to seek this movie out. Please find one that has the original Chinese audio track. Find one that is subtitled. Uh, in English with the original Chinese audio. The reason for that is because the English dub is so fucking bad. It is terrible. Now I know that's probably not surprising, especially not to those of you who are fans of uh, foreign films. The English dubs are usually pretty bad. Uh, this one is especially terrible though. It literally, I, uh, out of curiosity, I watched about half of the movie earlier with the English dubs on and it was, it completely changed it. The translations are bad and off in a lot of places from the audio and the subtitles, they don't match up. And in some cases they um, are giving you a different context really of what's going on. So it's terrible. Please, 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 please do yourself a favor and find one with the original Chinese audio dub. Um, even if you don't prefer to watch... Uh, films like that. This this one will be ruined if you try to watch the English dub all the way through. Next up we have Hard Boiled, which for a long time was probably my top action movie, my favorite one. It's still comfortably in my top five, probably my top three. I'd have to really, really think about this, but that's pretty impressive when you consider that this movie was released in 1992. It holds up super, super well. I basically think that Wu lapped everyone, and they've been trying to catch up and mostly failing to do so for the last almost 30 years since this movie was released. Now, like I said, I do want to talk more about the action in this movie, at least definitely more than I did for The Killer. However, there are some other things I want to hit first. Wu has said that he felt his earlier films like A Better Tomorrow and The Killer glamorized gangsters of the gangster lifestyle, so he wanted to make this as sort of a counterweight, as a way to glamorize police instead. Let's start with the title, which is basically perfect. I literally cannot think of a better title for this movie. It describes Chow Yun-Fat's character of Inspector Tequila perfectly. He is most assuredly the spiritual successor to pulpy characters from Raymond Chandler or other noir characters. He's like a cross between Philip Marlowe and Dirty Harry. He's a smoking, hard drinking, just willing to do whatever it takes wild card that has a devil may care attitude. And um, he even gets described as hard boiled by the, the main antagonist of the film. Uh, the characters in this movie actually share a lot of similarities to those in The Killer. Tequila, like the character of Inspector Lee, is a cop who believes the system is failing. 
He's reckless in some ways, and his justice is violence. Um, this, of course, has stark effects. Like uh, in the beginning, in the opening shootout scene in the tea house, his partner and friend is killed. That's one example. Uh, meanwhile, his counterpart in this movie, Alan, the cop gone undercover as a triad, he feels he's lost his soul or maybe thrown it away by agreeing to do this mission. He feels trapped and like the only way out is to be caught and killed. It's a little darker than you might think for an action movie. Because it's Wu, he really goes into some of these different feelings and some of these different um, you know, philosophical rumination like he did in The Killer. Not to the extent in this film that he does in that, but uh, they are still present. It's sort of one of his motifs or one of his recurring things. This movie also has one of my favorite antagonists in any film, Mad Dog, who just exudes badass. Uh, he's basically like the triad terminator he's just equal parts awesome and terrifying and we'll come back to him a little bit later but he is the fucking hardest shit in the world as for the movie itself it's kind of lucky that it turned out as good as it did the story changed a ton even for normal movie standards where things are changing all the time the original screenwriter barry wong he actually died during a rewrite and no one was really sure what direction he was going with the story that infamous tea house shootout that i was talking about and i will talk more about that was filmed before the script was even completed, and honestly, it was from basically a different story. A very, very different version of what we actually got, where the character of Alan wasn't an undercover cop, but was actually a terrorist who was poisoning baby formula. Um, I'm kind of glad they changed that. Not necessarily because I think that um, Alan is a better character as an undercover officer. I mean, Tony Lung's a great actor. I'm sure he could have pulled off uh, the terrorist angle, but that's pretty dark. I mean, poisoning baby formula is pretty, that's pretty intense shit. But despite those issues, it did turn out well, and in fact, really better than well. It basically elevates gun battles to almost poetic levels. It takes the action from earlier Wu films, which was already at a 10, and cranks it up to an 11. Breaks the knob right off. But it's more than just non-stop, unrelenting mayhem. There's some comedic elements, some of which are lighter, and then some of which are a little bleak. Uh, one of my favorite bits is actually... Uh, a comedic part from the police station. All the inspectors are working to ID a dead body they found. And as they do this, Tequila is just kind of unassuming, reading the newspaper classified ads. When everyone's done talking, he makes the joke like, how am I ever going to afford to live in a nice place on this salary? How am I supposed to impress a woman to marry me if I can't even get a nice place? It's a good tension reliever for both the characters in the film as well as the viewer. Uh, another good bit is later when he and Alan meet officially, they're kind of jabbing back and forth at one another, and Tequila says, hey, you know, do you think we could ever be friends? To which Alan responds, I mean, you're the guy with the gun, you tell me, I'll do whatever you say. Um, it, it's just a nice little back and forth, and again, sort of a good little tension reliever. Of course, because this is a John Woo movie, they literally have a gunfight right after that uh, with some guys who are attacking them. But the action, finally to the action, is fucking golden. In the intro scene of the tea house that I've talked about, <laughs> one of the first things Tequila does is he straight fucking yeets a teapot into a gangster's face. Then he stomps on a birdcage and opens it up to reveal hidden guns. I mean, just from from right then, I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. I, it was just from from the moment go, basically. Um, there's the iconic slide down the staircase banister as he dual-wields pistols taking out guys. And, I mean, fuck, how do you not like that? Uh, perhaps the best sequence from the tea house is when he somersaults over a prep table in the back room that lands with his gun directly to the henchman's forehead. Yeah, like I said, I loved this movie the second I saw it. 
The action is frenetic, and Wu does cut often to show different angles, um, films at different speeds to kind of give it a different take each time, but the action isn't hard to follow despite all that. It, it's not like um, to pick on an easy target that we've used before, like Taken 3, where there's like 400 cuts to show the stuntman hop over a fence. You always know what's happening, where things are happening, where characters are, all that. It's still very easy to follow and just gives it a very, very interesting take on action scenes. Something I picked up on this rewatch is the library scene. Having just watched John Wick 3 a month or so ago when it came out, it clicked to me that uh, the library scene in that movie is maybe not a direct reference to this, but it's very similar. So in Hard Boiled, Alan goes there to kill a traitor, a, a triad traitor. He pulls a gun out of a hidden compartment in a book he finds on the shelf. Wick doesn't pull out a gun in John Wick 3, but he does have some things stashed away. So if it was a nod, it's a neat little nod, and if not, it's, it's still pretty cool. Um, also, John Wick kills the absolute shit out of Bobin, so whew, I really love that movie too. Uh, later on in Hardboiled, there's the raid on the warehouse where um, Mad Dog, you really get the first scene of Mad Dog being a badass. He hits a controlled slide out of this motorcycle or dirt bike, then comes spinning off of it with a submachine gun firing at a group of rival gangsters, and the way I described it doesn't do it justice. It's pretty, pretty crazy the way they pull it off. Uh, later, Tequila actually raids this warehouse. He drops some smoke bombs and then swings down from the ceiling, uh, firing his SMG. And it, oh my god, it's just it's the fucking baddest shit in the world. He's so badass. But it's so it it, it they top it almost immediately because he dives over a sliding bike and then shoots another biker, which explodes. And then he turns and shoots another biker who's in midair, and then that explodes. I fucking love this movie. And finally, the last 40 minutes or so are basically one extended action sequence after another taking place in a hospital where the main uh, triad gang leader has stashed his arms cachet. And just take this movie and inject it directly into my fucking veins so I can chase the dragon forever. As Tequila and Alan are preparing to make their like final stand or final shootout, however you want to say it, they blow up a wall and then roll out of the morgue because this is hidden, they're hidden in the morgue. They roll out of these holding pods on the sliding, uh, sliding beds and just blow away the whole army full of henchmen. And it's so fucking awesome. There's a, uh, a long take. We've talked about long takes on the podcast before and how I think some of them are pretty overrated. Um, this one is kind of the granddaddy of them all. It's about three minutes or just under that. It's uh, in a hallway. It takes place in a hallway. They're going down. They get an elevator and come back out and finishes right after that. Like I said, I think it's about two minutes and 45, 46 seconds. And it's actually superior to a lot of the long take action sequences since. There's something always going on. It's choreographed really well. You you know what's happening. It's that's my big thing about action movies is that a lot of them for a long time, it was impossible to tell what was going on. It was just cut after cut after cut. Um, this one you always know what's going on. That's that's what's really great about it. Probably my favorite scene is a bit later. I don't know why quite or I don't quite know why this is my favorite scene, but I I do love it a lot. Um, Alan and Mad Dog are running down a hallway, um, one on each side of a wall. And on this wall, there's this long window. And they're alternately ducking beneath that and then raising up to fire at the other one through it. It's, like, not even a long scene. It's, like, maybe five or ten seconds. But it's just the way it's done, the choreography and the insanity of it. It's just, I love it so much. Again, I, I just cannot recommend this movie enough. Please find it and watch it. I don't know if there has been an, an official American release on Blu-ray. 
A lot of the older DVDs are out of print, and some of the editions go for several hundred dollars. I'm not exaggerating, you heard that correctly. I have seen this movie on DVD go for like six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Um, you might get lucky though. It'll probably be a bootleg if you do find a good price, but they do exist. I was fortunate enough actually to find a Canadian version of the Blu-ray, which should play in American players because they're all Region 1. For example, I, again, have the Canadian copy. I played it in my PS4, and it worked just fine. So if you can find one of those, that should work really well. I have mentioned a couple other of Wu's movies, and honestly, you can't really go wrong with any of the stuff he made in Hong Kong. He is kind of hit or miss with his Hollywood stuff, I do admit. Some of it's pretty good. Some of it is best left unspoken of, although I do think that his Hong Kong work is his strongest stuff. We can talk about why his Hollywood stuff didn't work as well, but there's a lot of theories with that. However, regardless of that, his work and his impact are really undeniable. He has forever changed action movies and influenced basically a generation of filmmakers. Um, even the game Max Payne, that's basically a John Woo movie as a video game. There's a joke at the beginning where his name is the password to get into a room. Actually, John Woo made a video game, if you're into that. He made a sequel to Hard Boiled called Stranglehold. I think it came out in 2007 or so and is released on Xbox 360. Um, he directed it and it does star Chow Yun-Fat as Tequila. I also heard, I don't know if this is confirmed, but I did hear that he was remaking The Killer in Hollywood, starring Lupita Nyong'o as the main character. I'm usually not a huge fan of remakes, but this one's being done by the same director, so it's interesting, and um, you know, Lupita's a very good actress, so uh, I would be interested to see how that goes. I, I hope it does happen. I I've been itching for another Wu movie. I love it. I'll watch anything he puts out. I'm trying to keep tabs on that. If anybody out there knows more about it than I do, please reach out. I would love to hear about it. Anyway, now for our last regular segment, Shit That Doesn't Suck, where we throw out some recommendations. Again, like on the last solo episode I did, since David's out, I'll drop a few things instead of just the one that I normally would. But some stuff I've been digging on lately, I actually brought up during the podcast. So the first one is Les Samurai, uh, the Melville film, again, from 1967. It's a French film that the killer is based on, like I said. It's similar in plot, but very different in tone and execution. This is a much more deliberate movie. It really makes the best of the 1960s Paris backdrop, which pairs really well with Alain Delon, who is just a complete quiet cool as uh, the main character, Jeff. It's available on the Criterion channel, which I've spoken about before, or it's on DVD through Criterion, and um, I'm pretty sure it's still in print, and it's definitely not as expensive as trying to find some of Wu's DVD. Uh, I did speak of Sam Peckinpah earlier, and one of his best movies, maybe his best movie, is The Wild Bunch from 1969. That's one of the all-time great westerns. It's about, like the tagline says, nine men who came too late and stayed too long. It's a very highly influential western across the board, from everything from Woo, like I mentioned, um, to things like Rockstar Games' Red Dead Redemption series. It's probably Peckinpah's best, and it's definitely my favorite of his. It's actually coming up on the 50th anniversary, and I'm very thrilled and, and consider myself very lucky that I'm going to get a chance to see this on the big screen um, at Nashville's Belcourt Theater. So if you're in the Nashville area, it plays a little later in the summer. You can check out their website for exactly when. Um, I'm sure with it being the 50th anniversary, it'll probably play in some other places as well. So if you're into westerns at all, definitely check it out. This one is tops. Um, if not, if you don't like to go out or if it's not playing near you, or for whatever other reason. It is available on Netflix currently. I'm not sure for how much longer, but I did check. It is still there, and it does pop up fairly regularly. 
You might also be able to find the DVD for pretty cheap. Uh, I found a copy of it at a local place for, I think, like 4 or $5. So definitely worth 4 or $5. If not, it is on Netflix, and I have seen it pop up there from time to time. Something else I watched pretty recently is Jaws. I have seen this, I don't even know how many times, uh, but it still crushes. It's still awesome. And despite whatever you want to say about later career Steven Spielberg, and there are some very fair criticisms of his later work, you cannot knock this movie at all. It's very, very close to being perfect overall. If you haven't seen it, or you don't like it, I really don't even want to know you. Just go away forever. Also, a word of warning, do not be fooled by the PG rating. This movie is pretty intense. So, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find us wherever you prefer to get your podcast fix. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, which sounds like a really bad slasher movie, but apparently is pretty chill and hosts podcasts, and on and on and on. You can like, subscribe, and leave a review, but only positive reviews, so if you don't like it, please lie and say that you do. You can check us out on Facebook by searching for Geek Garage Podcast. We're on Twitter at Geek Garage Pod, all one word. Instagram at Geek Garage Podcast, again, all one word, or at geekgaragepodcast.com. I looked into starting a live journal for the podcast, uh, so maybe one day in the future we can all revisit 2003 and just have a good laugh. Uh, if you want, not that you would or should, but if you do, you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Ted is on Fire, all one word. Um, I think normally David says something here about cheesecake or something, but honestly, I've usually tuned out by then, so I don't know. Uh, watch some movies or something. I don't care. You're grown people. Mm-hmm.